want to cut off the supertones because I love them so much. So every now and then I'll hear another song. I'm like, oh, I just don't want to start yet. Let's just play the song a little longer. They always know how they can get me if they play supertones, my favorite. How are you guys doing? Good, nice to see you guys. I'm always happy to be here on a Wednesday and see all your guys' cute faces and uh, talk to you, tell you some more about God's truths, God's word, important for us to know. So uh, anyway, we've been talking about something. It's kind of like went through the last couple weeks. It's kind of a theme we've been on a little bit. Do you guys remember what it is? How is it? Yes. Self is being the per the important part. Yes, last week we talked about don't be hating. And uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about some different things tonight, but I'm going to really continue on the same thing that we've been talking about the last few weeks, which is selfishness. This, this idea of just that word, that simple word self, and how it really pertains into God's word. And I still, God just won't let me get off this. So all I can figure is you guys must be a selfish bunch because he just doesn't want this topic. Or I am. I don't know. Maybe I am. So uh, anyway, he hasn't really stopped me uh, from moving, moving any farther than that. So uh, last week we did talk about, um, like I said, don't be hating. And it was Paul talking about to uh, the Galatians, talking to them about the truth. And that he told them what was the truth. And because he left and really wolves came among the sheep, that they started to hear a lot of false teaching again. And the freedom of Christ that comes with believing in him was kind of getting tripped up and stumbled up with this idea again that you had to be circumcised and you had to do this and you had to do that. And last week I made the point that all these different things that we tried to add to Christ, it doesn't work because it's just Christ plus nothing else. That's all there is to it. There's no more needed except for Christ and his grace. And if you're following that and you're following his truth and you're living according to his commandments, you're good. You're golden. You're all right. Uh, but Paul was making the point last week, and he was saying that when he had to speak out this truth, when he had to tell these people, you know, that they weren't so great, or maybe things were wrong, he said to them, have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? And we know that that happens. How many of you guys have ever had somebody come up and tell you something that, you know what, when they told you, you didn't enjoy hearing it? But part of you kind of thought, okay, there's probably some truth in that that they're pointing out. I probably do need to change something about myself. We all have gone through it. I don't care how great you think you are, how perfect you think you are. All of us, to some degree, have failures and flaws. It's never fun when somebody points them out to us. We love to live in this oblivious world thinking that we're just doing everything just great, trucking on, no problems. Unfortunately, that's not reality most of the time. Most of us could say that we're not doing everything just great. Um, talking about this idea last week, like I say, of, uh, you know, don't be hating. I was telling you how a lot of times, though, people don't really receive that truth so well. Sometimes friendships are destroyed. Sometimes relationships are destroyed where you have to say something that it never quite goes back to the way that you would have liked it to be. You know, this friendship, uh, if you've ever had to speak into a friend's life, you had to say something that maybe you really didn't want to say, but you felt like you needed to say when it came time to say it. You kind of thought, okay, now you feel like it's never going to go back to the way it was. If you felt really truthful and, and real about what you said and you knew it mattered, then you should take that as I did what I was supposed to do. You know, sometimes we speak out of turn. Maybe sometimes we say things when we shouldn't. I think a lot of it is how we say it sometimes. I think things have to be spoken in love if we really truly care, truly care about somebody. But we talked about last week about Paul with this idea and this mindset of um, him really telling people that there was a, a mindset, a shift that was taking place, and he didn't want to see them fall away. He didn't want to see them, and he, his heart broke for them. And uh, really explained that at the end, how I finished uh, last week was I kind of explained to you that um, this selfishness, this, this idea of selfishness should be in concern all the time with what goes on in our own personal lives. Um, I was telling you and making a point that the last couple weeks that God was saying that, you know, we're supposed to love him with all our, our whole, you know, heart, mind, body, strength, everything, soul, everything. We're supposed to love God first, but then we're supposed to love others as we love ourselves. And I uh, explained to you that a lot of selfish self-interest, though, is not going to work. And a lot of people really do this over and over again. And I kind of went through those 
things that we'll have happen in our lives if we're filled with self-interest and uh, selfishness. That's how I kind of ended last week. told you this week I was going to talk to you more about living God's way and doing things in a different way, what God intended us to live like, not like the world live like. So, yeah, so anyway, we had last week we had don't be hating, and this week we have be loving. So, because we all know who, what is love? God is love. That's what the Bible says, doesn't it? It says God is love. We love because he first loved us. Love exists because God exists. That's the only reason why we even have an opportunity to love. That's the only reason why we have a... Uh, desire in ourselves to even show compassion, gentleness, love to others is because God first loved us. So we need to be loving because basically that's outspreading God's word. That's telling people the truth. That's, that's living a life of godliness. So like I say, the selfishness continually keeps going through my mind and it's, maybe it is something that we need to kind of think about more. Um, I was kind of thinking about the fact of even like teaching on like self-control because self-control is something that's really important for us as uh, believers. And if you don't believe, tonight hopefully, the difference between living a selfish life and a life of following and having fruit of the Spirit, you'd be drawn to the, the other path, you know. So anyway, people who do speak to you about truth, for the most part, will do things and tell you things because they are truly concerned about you, because they truly do care. Uh, a lot of people would like to see good things happen in your life. If you've got friends that have said something to you, if I've ever had to say something to you, hopefully you understand and you know if I said something to you, it's because I truly want you to be a better person because I truly want you to make it, not for my benefit, but for your own benefit, for your own life someday to uh, be a, a more kind person and a gentle person in the way you're supposed to be. Um, a person who speaks into someone's life is going to have a true love and desire to see you become really all that Christ would want you to be. That's what their whole plan is going to be. And people who actually risk relationship, because we all know it is a risk. When you speak truth, you're risking the relationship. Uh, they're going to do that in spite of the fact that you could cut off communication, that you could decide then your own self that you're done. But they realize that it's more important to say something because in the long run, all you're going to do is fall away anyway if you stay on the path that you're on. That's what Paul was doing. Paul was saying, hey, hey, you know, I don't want to cause problems here, and, you know, I might sound harsh, but you're going on the wrong trail here. And if you keep going, you know, you're just going to completely fall away from Christ. So he says, you know, you're going to hate me because I say it, whatever, you know. And people are going to do that kind of stuff to you in your life because, you know, the thing is all of us need to in some points of our life, none of us are perfect. There's things that we do that are not so great, and sometimes people speak something to you, and you're like, man, I do need to change that. I'm not that nice in that area. Or I, I do that. That's not so good. You know, you realize that there's certain things about yourself that's not so good. So these people speak out to you, they tell you things so that you might be different. Um, you know, that what ends up happening is, as a believer is they really hope that you, if they're believers, they really hope that you, out of the numerous of people that claim this Christianity thing, that you're going to be the one of them who's actually going to accept correction, that you're going to be a teachable person, and that you're going to accept it and change. Now, we all know there's pride. Once you have pride, a lot of times people won't just, they won't accept correction. The God's Word talks all the time about if you don't have a teachable spirit, if you're not a person who can accept correction, if you are too prideful to receive somebody speaking in your life, you're probably not going to go anywhere very far in your faith with God. You have to be able to accept correction. Even if sometimes if it's not given, found, if, even if it's not as founded as you think it, you know, if people say that you're something and you don't think it is, Receive what they say. Pray about it. That's what we need to do. So anyway, like I said last week, we ended with that Paul's counsel to those Galatians. And how, we ended, how I ended last week and how I wanted to start this week was it said, live freely, animated and motivated by God's spirit. Then you won't feed the compulsions of selfishness. For there is a root of sinful self-interest in us that is at odds with the free spirit, just as the free spirit is incompatible with selfishness. And then I went on to explain to you what's incompatible. It says it's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or to be loved, 
Divided homes, divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community, and I could go on. So we can see selfishness is going to really warp what you would desire in your life to be. The good things become warped. You know, as we're, we might look for love in these relationships in life. We might look for something that would be what we thought would give us love because it's done out of selfishness or selfish motives could turn around and being completely just cheap sex. You know? What's your friendships out there, your friendships with people, if they're really not based on being a true friend, but if there's a selfish motive, instead of having a true, real relationship, a companionship, what it ends up being instead is this parody of a community. You know, it's, it's all self-serving for one person. The other person's not receiving anything, but the one person gets their ego stroked all the time, and we do everything for them, but we don't help both people. You know, so there's this idea. It's, it becomes warped when you're not really doing things out of the, the idea of selflessness, but if it's done in selfishness. So Paul actually ends this statement that I just read. He ends it in this way, and I read it to you last week. You really got to get it, though. He ends with the statement, this isn't the first time that I have warned you, you know. If you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. It's pretty big. In case you missed that, let me say it one more time. If you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. I didn't stutter. I'm telling you that you will not receive heaven. You will not go to heaven if you live a life of selfishness. It won't happen. I think a lot of times these people in life, Christians, you know, the one thing I've realized as I became a believer and one of the things as I've grown in my faith, uh, 16 years of being a believer, I've come to realize, man, there's a whole lot of selfish Christians out there, a whole lot of selfish, motivated Christians, a whole lot of people that talk about that they really want to love others, but there's a selfishness inside of them. You can see it's obvious. Sometimes, you know, you got some guys, it's all about them. Man, it's like you're looking like the manly man. You know, they're the cool men of the, the place. And, and uh, some of the girls, man, they're the cutesy ones. You know, they're just little princesses. And everything is about them. It's all about me. How does it make me feel? Does it, you stroke my, you make me feel good, you know, and, and I'm just a superhero. Christianity's not supposed to be like that. The thing is, you know, you might be cute, to have that mindset as a Christian, you might think you're cute and you might think you're accomplished, but I want you to understand God thinks you're ugly when you do that. Ugly. Ugly. Anyway, I was going to sing it. U-G-L-Y, you ain't got no alibi, you're ugly. Yeah, yeah, you're ugly, okay? So if you think you're going to be selfish and you're cute to God, I want you to understand that God thinks it's ugly. He looks at that as really disgusting to him. Anytime we do something out of selfish motivation, because we think we're going to get something. If you go to help somebody and it's because you think you're going to get something, it is ugliness to God. It's not attractive. It's not acceptable. He doesn't accept it as a good thing. Like I said, none of these works mean anything. He looks upon our heart. Why are you doing the things you do? If we're doing it out of selfishness, not going to be cute, not attractive, not pretty, not macho, ugly, just so you know that. Truth is, in life, all of us need to change. We have to become better people. When I look back at myself at 16 years ago, man, I'll tell you, I am so not still what I need to be. But 16 years ago, I was way more selfish, way more motivated about what was making me happy than I am today. We're supposed to change. We're continually supposed to change. It's supposed to happen more and more as we grow in our faith. We're supposed to change. Change is inevitable. Change is necessary. You cannot be the same person you were 10 years ago and be the same person, you know, 10 years. You can't do it. You have to change. You have to grow. And uh, we have to realize either we're going to change for the better or we're going to change for the worse. It's really up to you which one you choose. If you're going to choose to be a better person, you're going to try to live a life of selflessness, or you're going to choose all the time to, to be about yourself and live a life of selfishness. It's your choice every time. Paul goes on and he tells them what happens when we live God's way instead. I told you what the other things brought. Cheap sex, parodies of community, worthless grabs of happiness, 
But when the Holy Spirit instead controls our lives, he says it will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Here there's no conflict with the law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their own sinful nature, the selfish nature, to the cross, and they crucified them there. They're not concerned just about themselves anymore. When the Holy Spirit starts to really take over, and we let the Holy Spirit win, <laughs> we feed that part of us, we can see that we're going to become better people. We're going to be more loving, more kind, more gentle. We're going to do all those things that are necessary in our faith to be better believers. And if we're not filled with selfishness, people are not going to be turned off. Whereas God thinks it's ugly, people might think it's cute for a while. Ultimately, they're going to find you just as ugly. And they're not going to be wanting to be around you because, you know, no one likes to be around a a person who's selfish all the time. If it's every single time you're with a friend and it's all about them and they have to talk about themselves all the time and you've got to go where they want to go and you've got to do what they want to do, you call them, you pick them up when they want it, you do what, you know, you're going to go see a movie, well, what movie are you going to see? We're going to see the movie that they want to see. After a while, you're going to get really burned out. It's going to be like, you know what, this is way not fun for me because it's all about you all the time. And that's exactly what happens in Christianity, too. If you're a believer, you understand you're not going to have much effectiveness because people are going to really be discouraged and disgusted by you. They're going to think you're an ugly person. It doesn't matter if you claim Christ. They're going to think that you're an ugly person, and they're going to say, I want nothing to do with you. They're not going to want anything to do with Christ because of what you're doing, what you're lying and and telling people you are. It's not going to come through. It's going to look fake and phony. So these two scriptures that I read to you out of Galatians 5, they show there's a clear, clear contrast between the lifestyle of the spirit-filled believer and then that of the person who's controlled by the sinful human nature. I tell you, there's that battle that takes place all the time. From the time that you become a believer in Christ, if you say, yes, Lord, I believe in you, I'm going to live a life of following after you. From then on, it is a battle. It's a battle that's going to take place every day. Like I say, it's not something you do at one time. You don't accept Jesus and think, okay, now I'm a Christian, that's it. Every day you get up and you make a choice whether or not you are going to be a believer or you're going to be a follower of the world. What are you going to feed? Are you going to feed the sinful nature today or are you going to get up and you're going to feed the Holy Spirit today? What's your choice? It's your decision every single day. We're so easily drawn back to the sinful, sinful, selfish nature. It happens so easy. We can see it started out in, in Adam and Eve, right off the bat. You know, they had this walk with God so close. And then all of a sudden, because of sinful, sinfulness and selfishness, because they wanted to be prideful and they wanted to be like God, that all of a sudden this sin came in and they no longer walk close with God. What we do affects our relationship with God all the time. So Paul tells us that there's two ways of living. They're always going to be at war with each other, always. You can't be a selfish person and then be a selfless person. You can't pick one one day and be the other in the next. You've got to start really working on this because after a while, I think he's just going to be like, whatever. You figure it out, will you? Now, not that we're perfect because when we start to think we're perfect, we're basically going to be dead. The day I get perfection, the day I'm going to actually arrive, I'm dead because that, he's, he says we're never going to make it. I mean, there's only one person who's ever walked this earth, and that's Christ. He's the only one that's done it right. The rest of us are all failed and flawed, and we need his help every day. That's why we ask for the Holy Spirit. That's why we say God gives us this, that salvation. He says he deposits in our heart this Holy Spirit that's going to help us. And that's why when Jesus died on the cross, he says, you know, I'm going to go, but I'm, I have to go. Because if I go, that means you not just you know, have learned about Jesus Christ, but you get the Spirit of God to live inside of you. It's, how great is that? You get this gift. But the sinful nature, this, this selfishness, the sinful nature, what ends up happening is it produces, like I said, those things, sexual immorality. We know how the world is. Adultery, sex outside of marriage. Big words, fornication, you know. People having sex all the time. There's all different types of things going on. Pornography, you know, movies. Everything's all about, like, sexuality, and it's, it's not what God would want us to be around. 
I was really, really surprised because, like, you know, I, I, you guys know, if, I, if you know anything about me, I love movies. I love them. I love to go to the movies. It's, like, one of my biggest things that I really love to do. I love to go to the movie because captured attention, you know. There's no, no getting up, no pausing. You know, at home we always end up pausing something. It never fails, you know. There's, I want my popcorn. I want to sit and I want to watch a movie and I want to get absorbed into a movie. I love the escape. I just love it. But I'm always surprised, but there's so much sexuality. And I'm not a prude. Man, I did everything wrong that I, sh- you know, I shouldn't have done. I mean, right off the bat, you know, I started to do things wrong. At you know, met John way too young, and, and I lived that life. But I'll tell you what, when you become a believer and you start to change, you realize, boy, this world's filled with a lot of sexual immorality. You know, I was surprised when I looked at that watchman. You know, when I looked at that, wow, I looked at the review, and I'm like, that's crazy. Some of the stuff that they did in there. And, you know, people, of course, are going to want to go see that because it's about superheroes. If it wasn't for the fact of reading review, I would have gone to it. So if you realize, it's like, man, there's something wrong with some of the stuff that we're entertained by. So pornography, immoral sexual conduct is going to be there. Impurity, sexual sins, evil deeds. People being out hurtful, you know, to be rude to people and, and to get them and get back at them. There's debauchery. It says having no shame or public decency. We can see that goes on today. In the world, there's no public decency. People will say anything. They don't care if there's a little kid right next to them. It's like they're talking to their friends. It's like, F this, F that. They don't care if there's kids that shouldn't hear, shouldn't see. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what we say or do. It doesn't connect. Idolatry, worship of spirits, persons, graven images. People all the time have things that they worship besides God. Witchcraft, sorcery, spiritism, black magic, worship of demons. That kind of stuff takes place. These are all things that God's word says. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. Hatred, just an extreme dislike, an intense, a hostile intention or act to get back at somebody. You can see there's this evil you know, attitude with people. If you're going to get me and you're going to do something to me, man, I'm going to get you back. But worse, just wait. You know, there's that attitude. Discord. As Christians, I'm going to tell you, Christians are so guilty of this. Sowing discord. Causing problems. Being a person that goes and walks over and says, yeah, well, I heard them say this, and it caused all this issue and problems, and before long there's gossip and all this different stuff, and people are all upset and angry. That's not acceptable. Do you understand? One thing I want you to understand is all these things are lumped together. God doesn't tell you one's worse than the other. He doesn't sit there and say, wow, because you have sex out of sight of marriage. And then he says, the person that the gospel says, same. You guys are sinners. You need to change. Jealousy, resentment, envy of another person's success, fits of rage. Man, this place is, this world is angry, isn't it? This world is very angry. I mean, look at the last couple days which you've seen. You had last Sunday where this preacher is preaching a message on happiness. And a guy walks up and shoots him dead. You know? Rage, explosive anger. What about that poor baby, 18-month-old baby on the porch sitting there, and some guy decides he's in a fit of anger yesterday, goes around, first kills his mom, goes around everywhere, and shoots a little 18-month-old baby on the porch and kills, kills the baby. I mean, there's something wrong with this world. There's just really, really something wrong. Selfish ambition. You know, if it's all about you, if it's always about how far you can get ahead, you don't care if you're pushing down somebody else, and it doesn't matter if you're stepping on your friend, or it doesn't matter if you're stepping on your family or whatever, it's just as long as you get ahead. Dissensions, if you introduce divisive teachings not supported by God's word in a church. The thing I want you to understand here is all these things are unacceptable in God's ways, but do you understand that most of the Bible is written to believers, not unbelievers? You've got to get this figured out, see here, people, because everyone looks at this and says, oh, well, these are all the people who are not living a life of godliness and they're not Christians. No, most of the Bible, if you read it, he's talking to Christians, so-called people that are calling themselves believers that are doing all these things. This is what we need to be aware of. So inter- it, people introducing divisive teachings not supported by God's word. This is what happened with Paul. People saying you have to have this and this to have godliness. That's not true. Factions, a selfish group or a clique that destroys the unity of a group. God says that's disgusting in his eyes. Do you understand that? Think about that sometime. If you're a person who's always developing a little clique and doing something where it's like, you know, you want somebody, destroys. Anytime you destroy the unity of a group, God says it's dissension. You have to think these, take them serious sometimes. 
Envy. Resentful dislike or another person because they have something that you desire. You know, they have a nicer car. They have a nicer house. They have nice clothes. They have money. Give you envy. Drunkenness. Drinking alcohol till you're completely, like, wasted, you know. God says he doesn't think it's right. You're not going to go to the king. You're not going to be able to enter into heaven if you do this stuff. Then the word that I know you guys would be like, oh, I can't believe she said it. Orgies. Excessive, excessive feasting, revelry, a party spirit involving alcohol, drugs, and sex. Mardi Gras, man. Mardi Gras. <laughs> Most people involved in Mardi Gras are what it is. It's, it's, what is it? It's this mindset. Flashing people, throwing me your beads. You know, it's that attitude, this revelry, this, you know, live fast and be crazy and be drunk. And, and that's what it's all about. What I'm saying is to the ungodly world, the people who are not believers, you know, not saying it's right, but you know what? God's not going to judge them. Who he's, he's talking about is these believers that say that they believe this stuff and still go to Mardi Gras. Those are the people he's going to talk to you about, talk about right here. So Paul tells these people, truthfully, that anyone who lives this sort of life is not going to inherit the kingdom of God. So don't deceive yourself. Don't believe just because you said, well, I accept Jesus as my Savior, that you're going to enter the kingdom of God. Because he says, these things make the difference. It's not that you accepted and believed, because see, the thing is, you know, one thing that I always just, I get angry every time I hear it, only because I know people misinterpret what he's saying, because they miss the point, when it says, if you believe in your heart, if you believe in your heart. It doesn't say if you believe in your mind, people. If you believe in your mind that Jesus is the Son of God, whoopity-doo, you have to believe it here, where it matters. There's a saying that says a long time ago, it says most people miss heaven by about six, seven inches because they don't get the fact that it's not here, it's here that you need to believe. When you truly believe in your heart, you're going to change. You're not going to be a person who wants to be involved in all these different things. You're going to want to pull yourself out of them all the time. And it may not happen right away. You may make missteps. You may make stupid choices from time to time. You may think, wow, I shouldn't have done that. But you know what? The Holy Spirit, when he lives inside of us, he says, that wasn't cool. Don't do that. Change that. And that's what you feel. So Paul tells these people that anyone who lives this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that may, may sound harsh. That may sound so harsh to some of you guys that live in a politically correct world out there to think that someone, you know, can be a Christian. They can believe with their mouth and they can say this and they're still not going to go to heaven. Yep. That's what it says. I'm not making it up. It's in there. Anybody that's read God's word knows it. I know myself reading so far, and I've read through about seven times through the Bible now, and I'll tell you, reading all the different translations. The only one I haven't read, and I'll be honest with you, is King James. <laughs> I read Amplified. I read New King James. Um, you know, NIV, Message, all these different ones. They all say the same. All of them do. So God's truth says, harsh or not, if you do these things, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. So in contrast, though, like I said, all this sinfulness, this selfishness, this mindset of me, 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 how it makes me feel, whatever. You know, you might think you have all the time in the world. Like I say, everybody that's young thinks they're going to live forever. You know, I was so thrilled. This is off the topic, but I was so thrilled. I happened to look at the Pentecost Evangel last week. Do you remember what I'm always telling you about these old senior citizens? I say that what drives me crazy about senior citizens is a lot of times they think they've gotten so far, so old that they don't think that they have to be pure no more. Like in nursing homes, they all, I mean, if a guy can drive a car, he has sex with about 20 women. And they're like 70, 80 years old. But for some reason, they think that they're older, that doesn't matter. There's a whole article in the New Pentecostal Evangel that talks about how um, maturity and morality is not the same thing <laughs> because there's this mindset in senior citizens that they think that somehow they're like par with God, you know. Somehow they've reached an age where they're older or something. It's like, man, you're still really young compared to God. I think he's still <laughs> a little older than you. But, you know, the thing is them thinking that they're kind of manipulating things like they can be whatever they want because they're older it has nothing to do with God's commandments and God's laws. There's still a way that God's word tells us to live doesn't matter if you're old. You don't grow a lot of the commandments. Just like you don't grow into them. You, I mean, you just, you got to be what they are is what they are. You follow them. So I was just so thrilled when I saw that because I thought, about time someone says something because I'll tell you, I'm so tired of these old senior citizens. They're all like, them young kids, they're horrible what they're doing today. And then you find out that they're having 
sex with some senior citizen because they can drive them over to, you know, Liberty Village or whatever. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. I don't know what's going on with this world. So anyway, in contrast to this, this frantic, scattered, selfish motivation, this lifestyle, is a life instead that God would intend us to live. And it's not scattered, but it's really single-minded. It's motivated and pure and truth. And this is how God wants us to live, in selflessness. Always putting other people first. Always putting God first. First, then others, then us. Like I said, it's out of whack. It's out of order. So it's what's produced is when we allow the Holy Spirit instead to lead and direct us instead of our own sinful nature over time. Man, it's going to begin to destroy the sin's power over us. If you start to do the right things, you're going to realize that, man, you're going to have more control as you go. Things that I never thought I could say no two years ago come easier now. I can say, like, well, of course. I would never do that now. You know, I, don't, I wouldn't do that. You know, when I first became a believer... I didn't really understand the whole alcohol thing. I really didn't. I, John and I were never big drinkers. Did other things wrong, but we weren't big drinkers. But you know what? I still, when I first got saved, I didn't realize, because I didn't read God's truth, I didn't know the truth then. Still went out, still did some stuff I shouldn't have done. Definitely got drunk. Not good. But you know, after a while, when you start to read God's word, you realize the truth is, see, the thing is, he says, once you know is when you're going to be judged. Today, you want, you guys, you are all heard it now. <laughs> None of you are going to get off the chain now. You're, you're all hooked. You heard the truth. Now, if you walk away, it's your choice. You're choosing to do that. But the thing is, that all these different things, these sin, they have power over us. Like I said, and if we, don't, if we don't let that control us, we can live a different life. We instead could live in love. And there's a quote and I love this quote, and I, man, I mean, it has such power because I thought I never realized this is so true. If you guys think about this in relationships, most of your relationships, the people you know, think about this and you think this is so true. It's a quote by Robert Anthony. It says, the one who loves the least always controls the relationship. Think about that. That's huge. That blew me away when I read that because I thought, boy, that is so true. It's not even talking about it in Bible concept but the one who loves the least always controls the relationship how many of you guys out there can have seen it and it was parents family friends people that you've had in your life you realize that they weren't really as loving as they could be but they controlled every aspect of your relationship most of the time the person who loves the least always controls the most doesn't that happen in our faith we love god so much less than he loves us and we're the ones in control it's up to us whether or not we decide if we're going to go close to him or not, how much we really desire to have him be part of our lives. We control because we love the least. And I think that's so amazingly powerful when I read that. It says when we have the fruit of the Spirit, we will have that kind of agape love, the love that's really true and real that comes from God. Um, we're going to be caring. We're going to seek the highest good of another person without a thought at all about what we can get out of it. It's not going to be about what we get. Colossians 12 through 14 says, So chosen by God in this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe that God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline, be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, always wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Love is the most important thing. See, that's what they're talking about. Even the Holy Spirit, you know, in the Seventh God, we talk about wanting the, um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We talk about all these different things. But God's word himself even says in there, he says, more important than anything that you can desire, love is the most important thing. Always seek love to be a person who's filled with love. Like I said, once we have that, we're going to start to love God with our heart, you know, our, our soul, our mind, our strength. And we're going to start loving other people as the way that we should as much as we love ourselves, and we love ourselves a lot. The other thing we're going to have is we're going to have joy. Now understand joy is big, big difference. Joy is not the same as happiness. Whereas the sinful nature talks about it, says there's, there's joyless grabs of happiness. You're always trying to just grab happiness. And joy is different. Joy is deeper. You know, there's going to be a feeling of gladness that's deep inside of us. 
not necessarily happiness, but it's going to be based on love. It's going to be based on the fact that you have grace, that you've been blessed, that you have promises from God that have been given to you. You're going to have that, and it's going to do something different for you. 1 Peter 1.8 says, if you love him, even though you have never seen him. Man, we don't know what God looks like. We can't see God. God's word even says that you can't see God face to face. Jesus, we have no clue. It even tells us as a commandment that we're not supposed to have ever made a picture of what God, who, anything on heaven and earth and all this. So really, who he has an idea of what he looks like. We've never seen Jesus. But I'll tell you what, I love him with all my heart. I can't tell you probably how many times a day I tell him I love him. You know, I love him because it gives me joy to follow after him. You know, we don't see him, but we trust him. You know, we rejoice. We, we are so thankful that we have him in our life, that we've got this assurance someday that we've got a better place to go. This isn't nothing. There's nothing. I mean, it's just not nothing out there. We've got a, a plan. We've got a, a path for us to go, and it, it, it puts joy in your heart. Regardless if I'm happy or sad, I've been through depression, and I still have joy. It's different. You know how many people who were great people of God that went through depression? And they still had joy because it's different. It's not happiness. It's deeper. And then there's peace. We're going to have a knowledge inside of us that tells us that all is well between us and God. When you have this real, true belief in your heart, you're going to have a peace that says, will pass all understanding. You're not going to even understand how you can have peace. When things are falling apart, when the world is crazy and collapsing all around you, you just know that God's going to take care of you. You just know it. Uh, no matter what. Philippians 4, 7 says, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, just pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayer, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displays his worry at the center of your life. You're not going to be constantly worrying and thinking. You know what? And when you do start to worry and think about something, just all you have to say is, God, please help me. Help me. And see, if you have a real relationship, he'll give you that. He'll give you that peace. It's amazing what God does for us when we really, truly believe and we follow after him we believe in our heart. Now, this is where I fail. This is where I falter a bit. This is where Deb's definitely not perfected. Patience. Ask anybody that lives with me, they will tell you this is where I definitely am flawed. We are going to, now this is, I, I have endurance. I have endurance. There's something that I'm good. And I, I think I'm long-suffering. I think I'm fairly long-suffering. But I'm not slow to anger. <laughs> I'm not so good at that. Um, Hebrews 12.1 says, do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blaze the way, all these veterans cheering us on, it means we'd better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes instead upon Jesus, who both began and finished this race that we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God, he could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever, and now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. When you find yourself flagging in your faith, go over that story over and over and over again. Item by item, that long litany of hostility that he plowed through, this is going to shoot adrenaline into your souls. Sometimes that's all you can do is just remind yourself that God's in control. I can be patient. Now I'm going to tell you, I look at sometimes with patience. I mean, today, on the way here, I don't care if there's nobody coming behind me for two miles. Never fails. There's always somebody that pulls out right in front of me and goes 45. Drives me crazy. Because I'll say to Shelby, you know, there's nobody behind me. Why couldn't they wait for an extra two minutes? But nope, they can't do it. it I, I'm not as patient as I need to be. Definitely not as patient that way. But I think he's talking about long-term, like, following after God. Patiently enduring what we need to endure. Waiting for his return. God knows I'm patient. I can wait for him to come back. And if I don't see him before, you know, if he doesn't take me up in the clouds and the rapture, I'll tell you what, I'm definitely going to die and I'm going to go. It doesn't matter. I don't have a doubt in my heart I'm going to heaven. So not a bit. So, you know, what? I can patient to understand. I, I told you a long time ago, one of the things that God spoke to me a long time ago, when we used to do prayer downstairs on a Tuesday night in the uh, big sanctuary, one of the things that 
you know, I was going through something and God spoke to me. It's like, just pattern yourselves after the disciples who put up with anything, went through everything, and they never gave up. So just be patient that God can help you. If times of trouble are right now, if you can't hardly make it some days because of troubles that's going on in your life, be patient because God is in control. If you keep him first, he's going to help you and he's going to set you on a good straight path. The other thing you're going to have is you're going to have kindness. There's going to be something really kind about you. You're not going to want to hurt other people. You're going to have something inside you that really seeks to be kind and gentle and nice. You're not going to want to cause people pain. If you're truly led by the Holy Spirit, you're going to want people to really be helped. 1 Peter 2, 3 says, So clean house, make a clean sweep of malice and pretense, envy and hurtful talk. You've had a taste of God. Now like infants at the breast, deep, drink deep of God's pure kindness. Then you'll grow up and mature and be whole in God. We're supposed to continually start to be more and more like Jesus. We're not supposed to stay the same. We're supposed to change. Like I said, not to selfishness, to selflessness. We're supposed to be look, looking more and more like Christ every day, choosing that. Then there's goodness. We're going to have to have um, a zeal for truth, for what God tells us is real. Righteousness, a real hatred of evil that goes on in this world. You know, this world is messed up. There's a lot of people that aren't good. They're not good. God is good. He says God is good. God's filled with love, compassion, gentleness, all those things that he wants us to be like. But we can see the world a lot of times is not. It's a real hatred of people, and there's a backbiting and a deceit and lies and cheating and all this different stuff. And he instead wants us to be goodness. You know, he wants us to show kindness to people. Um, in Luke seven thirty-seven through 50, they use the example of the woman. Jesus himself says, he points out to the woman who brings the alabaster jar of perfume and does what she does for him, washes his feet. Jesus talks about that as that is such an act of kindness. He says to um, the Pharisees, the people who were meeting there, the people who were the religious leaders who invited him in and thought that, you know, he was so great. You know, they thought they were so great because they had him there. He actually turns around and says, do you see this woman? I came to your home. You provided no water for my feet, but she rained tears on my feet and dried them with her hair. You gave me no greeting, but from the time I arrived, she hasn't quit kissing my feet. You provided nothing for freshening up, but she has soothed my feet with perfume. Impressive, isn't it? She was forgiven many, many sins, and so she is very, very grateful. If the forgiveness is minimal, then the gratitude is minimal. Man, when you've been forgiven much, I'm going to tell you, you can't hardly not show goodness to people. You really can't. You want other people to experience that goodness because you know what you've been forgiven. When I look back at who I was, man, I... I'll tell you, a pastor said it just a couple weeks ago. He was talking about like, you know, about forgetting. He takes away some guilt. But you know what? I said to myself at that moment when he was preaching that I thought, I so thank God that he doesn't remove my guilt. Because I'll tell you what, every time I think about the person I was, I praise God every time I think that's not me no more. I love so much the fact that I am no longer that person. I love it. When I look back and I'm reminded, I think, yes, I was not what I was supposed to be. But thankfully, Jesus changed me. And I'm a different person today. The other thing in goodness, this is where a lot of people don't understand. Goodness, this is where Paul was doing what he was supposed to do. Paul was good in correcting the Galatians because it's also correction. It's me. I'm trying to be good to you. If I tell you something, like I say, sometimes it's, you don't want to hear it. But it is being in goodness. Matthew 21, 12, and 13, Jesus did this. Jesus walked up to the people, and he told them what they were doing wrong. He rebuked them. Because the thing is, we're supposed to use God's word. We're supposed to rebuke. We're supposed to correct. We're supposed to train up people. We're supposed to tell them what's right and wrong. If you're a leader, if you're a believer, you're supposed to do that. Matthew 21, 12, and 13 says, Jesus went straight to the temple and threw out everyone who had set up shop, buying and selling. He kicked over the tables of loan sharks and the stalls of dub merchants and said, my house was designated to be a house of prayer, but you have made it a hangout for thieves. So the thing is, God's not mocked in a church. We may think we're being, making it into something it isn't supposed to be, you know, and think you're really pulling something. God's never, ever buffaloed 
He always knows what's really going on. He sees the truth. He knows the truth. And you know what? Ultimately, I think some churches really get that little, you know, Jesus walks in, grabs the whip, knocks stuff over, and says, you know, you're out. Done. I really do. I think that there's so many times that people are just filled in churches that are, are pretending like God's there and God's been out a long time ago. I mean, he's even there no more. They're just singing songs with their lips and they're saying that they believe in their lips and there's nothing happening out of their hearts and he's not really even there anymore. And so everyone walks in they say, hey, there's no presence of God here. I don't even feel anything. Well, that's because he's no longer here. He's not even here anymore. The other thing you're going to have is faithfulness. You're going to have a firm and an unswerving loyalty to a person, um, to one who is united in promise. You know, there's nothing more attractive. Men, I'm going to tell you something, nothing more attractive to a woman than be loyal. Loyalty is the most attractive quality. You know what? No matter what, if someone can count on you, it is such an attractive quality. There's nothing better than a person who's loyal. You know, there's people that I know doing youth ministry here. Man, I love them. They have stayed loyal to me for so many years. You know, we have so many people that help here. Cameron and I talked on the phone last week, and he was talking how much he really, truly appreciates Mike, loves him so much as a friend. He says, you know, I know Mike has got, he's such a loyal person. He's so kind. You know, I said, he is. He's a great guy. He says, I know he'd do anything for me. And I said, yeah, I believe that. Because the thing is, you know, you sense loyalty. You see truth in people. You know if they're going to be loyal. And there's something about that trust. When you know you can trust somebody, it's just an amazing thing. Paul, in 2 Timothy 4, 7, says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. He wasn't going to give up. I'm going to tell you, I know that there's people along, and there's tough times, but you know what? You know they're going to stay loyal to the message of Christ. They're not going to turn their back. They're going to stay loyal to what they believe. You know what? There's the best thing in the world to know that you've got a fellow believer alongside you that believes and is as loyal as you. And you're like, man, we're going to fight this fight together no matter what. And it's like, yes, I believe that. You know, I just love when I read something in God's Word and it reminds me of all the people that I'm in ministry with. I read something not too long ago. It talked about the company of prophets. And I said to Cameron, I said, doesn't this, who does it remind you of? And he says, all the people that do ministry with us. I said, Absolutely. It reminds you of that company of prophets, those people who help day in, day out, that are so loyal and are so always there for you. And you're just like thinking, that's just the best thing in the world to know that you have those people that believe like you do and that love God as much as you do. The other thing is gentleness. There's going to be a restraint. There's going to be a stopping yourself coupled with strength and courage. This is going to be a person who can be angry when anger is needed, but also be submissive when submissiveness is needed. You know, you have to have balance. You've got to have that gentleness to know when to say something, when not to say something, when to blow your stack, when not to. I don't always do that just right. But I do think I've been submissive a lot more times than I would have liked to. Sometimes in my natural sinful nature would have like, ah, I'm saying everything. I'm going to just tell everybody what I think. And I'll try to restrain myself. 2 Timothy 2.25 says, Run away from infantile indulgence. Run after mature righteousness, faith, love, peace, joining those who are in honest and serious prayer before God. Refuse to get involved in inane discussions. They always end up in fights. There's a lot of worthless stuff that we talk about as Christians. A whole lot of worthless stuff. We argue about stuff that's not necessary. You know who I con- was convicted of that by is Daniel, Shelby's friend, her boyfriend. And when he, just listen to some of the things he said, some of the things I thought, boy, we, we really do, we get wrapped up in a lot of stuff, and he'll say, well, it's not necessary to think about that. You know, it's not really something to fight over. And I'm thinking, you know what, for a while I'd be like, well, yeah, it's necessary. And then sometimes I'm thinking, no, is it really that necessary to talk about? I think you might be right on that. Why are we making a big deal about some things that really aren't such a big deal? What does God's word say? Sometimes it's like we make more fights. It says, you know, just find those things that you agree with. He says, do you believe in Christ? I believe in Christ. Let's just believe in the fact that we both believe in Jesus Christ. It's a good thing, you know? But it says here, God's servant must not be argumentative but a gentle listener and a teacher who keeps cool, working firmly but patiently with those who refuse to obey. Sometimes we're not patient. Some people don't re- obey and you get angry. You never know how or when God might sober them up with a change of heart and a turning to the truth, enabling them to escape the devil's trap where they are caught and held captive, forced to run his errands. 
So we have to be willing to always be there and try to still continue to show gentleness and love and, and restraint sometimes. And we want to just like blow up and say something and tell them, you know what, you're going to go to hell, buddy. You know, when you don't really haven't had no right to speak into someone's life yet because you really don't have a relationship, you need to show some restraint sometimes. You need to let the Holy Spirit control us when to say something, when not to say something. But we really ask the Holy Spirit to direct us. I think a lot of us would really quit putting our foot in our mouth a lot more often. Then there's self-control. This is what we end up end up with. And I think this is one of the most important things is self-control. There's so many of those other things that fall into that. Mastering one's own desires and passion, including faithfulness and purity. You know, I'm going to tell you, in sexuality, man, if you've got self-control, you are going to be fine. This world is just enamored with sexuality. It is not easy to be a young woman or a young guy in this world, especially if you know all your friends are out there having sex and you're remaining pure. I'm going to tell you, I've watched my kids and I've watched the people in here that have remained and chose to stay pure. That is one of the best legacies I will ever leave to think that I even had a part in somebody staying pure and going into a marriage the way they're supposed to because you guys were told the truth, that it's not supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be different. You're supposed to be pure. You know, that's just going to be an amazing thing. But if you can have self-control and live a life of purity, faithfulness, controlling your own passions and desires, 1 Corinthians 9.25 says, now let every athlete, now every athlete who goes into training conducts himself temperately, restricts himself in all things. They do it to win a wreath that will soon wither. But we ourselves as Christians, as believers, that believe in our heart, we do it to receive a crown of eternal blessedness that can never wither can never be taken away. It's never going to go away. It's never going to fall apart. What we get, because we live a life of purity and self-control, is going to be long-lasting forever. Don't believe what the world says that everybody's doing it. You're right. The world is everybody is doing it. The problem is, you know what? Everybody else is going to hell, too. Do you want to go to hell? Your choice. Either you believe God's truth or you don't. Either you live a life of selfishness, you don't. Your choice every single day, what you want to feed, selfishness, selflessness like i said a lot of people always live in a life of selflessness or selfishness and like i said they think they're really cool they think they're all big and bad they're beautiful they're cool but god says what they're ugly i'm gonna tell you they're ugly he looks at it and he says they're ugly selfishness is an ugly thing you don't find people attractive that are ugly that are, I mean, are attractive, that are selfish, you think that they're ugly. I don't care if they're the best-looking person under the sun. There could be some of the best-looking people, and after a while, when you see how selfish they are, you're like, man, you know what? They're not as cute as I thought they were. They're kind of ugly. And I'll tell you what, you can find somebody who's not drop-dead good-looking, and because of the things that the Holy Spirit has, and because of the fact that they're living a life of, of faithfulness and selflessness and all this, you're thinking, wow, they're attractive. They're good looking. You know, I'm going to tell you, it, that's, that's what makes a difference. It's what we're drawn to. But God hates selfishness, and he does consider it ugly. I want to finish this up with you because I think it's really funny. I want to play this for you guys. Just enjoy, and then after that, you're uh, dismissed.